WBZ Original. I'm Larry Galco. I'm Roger Berkowitz, and this is Name Brands, the podcast about the story behind your favorite brands. Joining us now on Name Brands is a gentleman whose very name epitomizes the resurgence of Boston as a world-class city. He's Joe Fallon, founder of the Fallon Company. Now, back around 2000, Joe had a vision of what the Boston seaport could be. Then it was kind of a hodgepodge of rusted and abandoned buildings, some fishing boats, and a really a jigsaw puzzle of properties owned by the city, the Port Authority, and some individual property owners. At that time, everyone talked about the area's potential, but no one had the fortitude and vision to be the catalyst and actually get the ball rolling. Joe Fallon did, and the Boston Seaport and his fan peer project today is regarded as one of the premier developments not just in the U.S., but in the world as well. As such, Joe is often asked to appear on a number of national media outlets from Bloomberg to MSNBC, offering insights on housing, office, and retail development. Now, there are a number of developers out there that can be brash and, you know, sort of chest-puffing and overbearing. Not Fallon. In fact, he's quite the opposite. With Joe, it's always family first, and when it comes to charity, he's one of the guys behind the scenes doing things very quietly, whether it's providing homes for the disabled, helping the wounded war vets and their families, or just being there to ask the question, what can I do? A most humble man, we welcome Joe Fallon, developer, non-parel. Joe, welcome. Thank you, Roger, and that concludes the show. (laughs) (laughs) What else did I talk about, right? (laughs) No, no, Joe is a good guy, and we go back a number of years. And and, and, and one of the things that, you know, is sort of when I run into people who have done sort of really – great things in the in the course of their lifetime. I always like to sort of ask them, what were the one or two episodes in their background growing up that that kind of motivated them to kind of to have the drive that they do today and, and push today? Because usually it's something. It's not when I wake up one day, yeah, I, I think I'm going to do right, this. Right. Usually there's, there's some seminal moments that's kind of push you. And and Joe, if you think back, what is it in your background? The truth is that my parents died, my mother died when we were young, she was sick, and then my father died when I was in my early 20s. So for me, it was more of a, a, um, a desperate need to survive. So we ended up, everybody, I had two brothers, two sisters, we all ended up going our different paths. And I always knew real estate because my neighbor growing up was Tom Flatley. And Mr. Flatley actually had introduced me to real estate and into development. So Mr. Flatley actually um, brought me in to work during high school. And then um, when I was in high school, um, I wasn't exactly the, the stellar student. So my father figured I needed some discipline, and he put me into the um, military in, in high school before I was even eligible, but he knew a general, and that <laughs> yeah. was able to be done. So uh, yeah. it was usually you got better a, than you a boarding had a, school. You, you had to you know, beg your parents to, to sign you in. <laughs> <laughs> no, he actually volunteered. <laughs> I was volunteered, and I did the military piece, and then I went to school uh, to finish high school at um, Huntington Prep School. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because I went there too. 
and, and, and this both made okay. <laughs> well, it, it was a school for challenged individuals, right? Challenging. <laughs> right. I fit the bill. I don't think you did. No, I did as well. <laughs> it was actually a school that was on Huntington Ave, um, and it was it was a section of the of the YMCA, mm-hmm. and uh, next to Northeastern. So, I had gone to high school there, and then I actually had started to work. I wanted to work, and then went to school nights, and then. Uh, went on to go to school at Wentworth and did Northeastern as well. and uh, But I liked Wentworth because it was more focused on development in real estate and in um, architecture. So I stayed with that. In fact, um, I still I still contribute to the school. And I was the original um, student that did the job during school program. At, the um, co-op, yeah. The co-op. So mm-hmm. I actually founded the co-op program for Wentworth. But again, it was an act of desperation because I <laughs> needed money. the money. Yeah, yeah. And I went to the school and I explained to them what they were doing at Northeastern. I brought it to the school and they let me go to work at um, Malden Redevelopment Authority. Wow. And I worked there during my last two years. Um, and between that and playing cards in the morning, I was able to support the, to support <laughs> the tuition. Did you win the cards in the morning? I did. I had a partner that we played every morning and we knew... We knew how to win. You know, Wentworth is one of those unsung schools that, that yeah. really deserves a lot of credit because yeah. in the construction field, development field, architectural field, they're really highly thought of. Well, the, the, a good friend of mine is the CEO of Turner Construction, and uh, Peter Davern, and he, Peter also went to Wentworth, um, and he was there right at the same time I was, right? And so um, I was a year ahead of him, and there's a lot of great – in my world, in yeah. the development world, there's a lot of great people that are in this world that had gone through the Wentworth program. We don't you talk about great people. I was thinking, um, take Michelangelo. They said that Roger, like Michelangelo saw a piece of um, granite, mm-hmm. and he said, and he saw David. He visualized David in this marble stone, and then it took him years later. He was like in the early 20s, and he built David. And I bring that because he was a visionary. He saw something that nobody else saw. And sometimes when I talked to Roger about years ago when uh, Legal Homicide opened at the seaport, Roger's comment always is, it looked like downtown Beirut yeah. when we opened it up. So I'm just curious as a visionary, what did you see? Because we all know what it looked like before, Northern Avenue with the auto bodies and the sand. And it was, you know, yeah, it was tough. It wasn't very attractive looking. What, what did you see that nobody else saw that enabled you to take your vision and bring it to this amazing reality? It wasn't. It was. Uh, it was the sum of the parts. There were so many pieces that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Actually, Roger was one. The yeah. first property that we developed on there was uh, apartments. So it's Park Lane. It was 465 apartments, and and it was a, and it was the Renaissance Hotel. My my son lived there. Oh, does he now? Uh, above the LTK. Oh right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, my son lived well, there. Well, LTK was was the first restaurant. Yeah. So when we were there, it was a sea of parking lots and. And the parking rate was only two dollars, so people that were working downtown would would walk in. I think it was five dollars actually, and they'd walk into the city. And there were no apartments in the city at that time that were on the water. So I wanted to build apartments. It's we do mixed use primarily. I wanted to build apartments with a hotel. I did think that eventually you'd see the convention center get built, which it did, and. 
Um, but I needed a restaurant, and so <laughs> I. I no, 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 you know, I need a place to eat, right? I need a place <laughs> to eat. So the, one of the one of the name brands in the city was Legal Seafood. So I went begging to Roger. Begging? To, you had begging. Begging to Roger. <laughs> well, well I had I had my eyes set on 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 Jimmy's Harbor Jimmy's side, side. As, and I and apparently I didn't know it at the time. Joe did too. Yeah, and I we're know. probably bidding against we're, one we're another. We're against and, each other. And, and, we didn't and know. If it. I'd known it was you, I would have rolled over and played dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but Joe, you told me about the, um, you know, the apartments he was putting up at Park Lane, and I had no, absolutely no intention of doing that. <laughs> and 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 in within an hour, Joe had me convinced I had to be there, and he was absolutely right. See, you, you, you fold your cards. He went again. <laughs> it's still, it's still, I still go there. I still yeah. go to LTK. It's um, the only dispute we had with each other on that was um, he wanted it to be legal test kitchen. <laughs> And I said, all I can think about is a scientific experiment that's going to be <laughs> a lab, right? <laughs> and and uh, we settled on LTK. Yes. And it still does really well. It's a great restaurant. Um, surprisingly, they have great hamburgers. Yeah. I know. They have, I know. It's, m- many people don't know that, but Roger's hamburgers are one of the best. You, you know. You know. I, I got to say, I know we're we're moving along topic here, but you know, I eat a lot of seafood too. At legal, and Roger right. knows it. And I was over at LTK a while ago. I said, "No, just give me a hamburger and fries, it's, and it is absolutely amazing." It's a great hamburger. Yeah. yeah it's, so, so Roger opened up LTK. Yeah. Um, and and we actually were we we survived the the. It was surprising to me the demographic of the people that were moving in. It was a full demographic, and it was from from uh, kids in college all the way through eighty years old. Was that around eight or ten years ago? That was in. Uh, 2004? Yeah, yeah. 2004, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, about 2004, exactly. Yeah, around 2004. Yeah. So 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the demographic was very different. And at that time, you could you could throw a bowling ball all the way right to, mm-hmm. right to you know, downtown. So the Central Business District was the only activity between then. But I knew that Pritzker was going to move ahead with his development. So I felt that this was on the outside of the Pritzker core and um, for where Fampere is now. And we moved ahead with the apartments. And, the dem- and they leased up pretty quick. They leased up well, but it was a – the lower floor is never leased. Hmm. And uh, true story, uh, I actually met with the building management, and we allowed dogs. And I really? allowed just on the first floor. And they were small dogs, yep. only 25 pounds. My son had a Havanese, 13 pounds. Is that right? Yeah. So what well, happened when we— three pounds over. When you came to the lobby, you had to stand on the scale. <laughs> Interesting, because the the fact that we allowed dogs, the first two floors filled up right away. Huh. And there were a lot of single girls with dogs. And then I say, I say that—and this is true. Once we got it established as a— uh, location that you could have dogs, and there were a lot of single girls. Then the real dogs showed up. <laughs> so a lot of guys, single guys, started showing up, and the demographic changed in that building within two years. That it was a lot of younger um, millennials, single, and it became a, 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 a huge success. We allowed dogs in the building, as right. you probably know now, yeah. but all smaller. And there's a lot of dogs in that area. So. With dogs come other issues, and we had to find a location for a doggy park, location for them to um, do their thing, and and, um, and it changed the dynamic. That was a real dating scene building, huh? It was very. <laughs> they, there were they a lot of, actually a lot of football players used to be. Uh, well, we had the Red Sox actually in two thousand four or five. We had the Red Sox. Um, right, Applebaum. I remember. 
Yes. Papelbaum, we had um, a lot of we had a lot of Celtics actually yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Patriots are over there. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we, it's it, it was it was great because it was in an mm. area that had some action. But remember that you had uh, was Jimmy's open then. Um, no, they they had closed, closed and, right. and, and so there was lots of discussion what was going to happen there. Right, right. Um, so, uh, no name was there. Yeah, and still there, still yeah. there. Yeah. And so, as a result, the 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 LTK restaurant became a for us it became a, a necessary success. People used it a lot. Actually, that's initially that's how I met Ed Davis. Mm. Um, Ed Davis rented there, and Ed's favorite restaurant we talk about was LTK because he'd come home from work when he was commissioner, right. and he'd uh, he'd stop there and grab a bite to eat before he'd go upstairs. He had an oh. apartment there. Oh, so you saw this first opportunity, but did you envision what the whole landscape would look like eventually years later? We kind of got forced into that because mm. the convention center we felt would be a, a definite um, a supply of mm-hmm. people. I was more interested in getting people to the area. And as a result, the convention center was moving ahead under Mayor Menino. Uh, the problem they had, though, is they couldn't get the hotel to move ahead. And if you don't have a hotel, you don't have uh, a, a convention I, I, center. I forgot. You were involved in the hotel there. So yeah, I was yeah. approached by Starwood. Um, they had a developer that wasn't... Um, wasn't able to make it happen. Uh, they brought me in. This was through a connection on the board of uh, BC. Tom Flatley was on the board of BC. Uh. He actually, the uh, the head of Starwood, uh, number two at Starwood, the COO, mm. actually called me up through the introduction of Flatley, and he asked if I would step in to do that deal. So we stepped in and we bought the uh, we bought the Weston. We developed the Weston. We brought in financial partners with us and. Um, we were able to make that happen. I reduced it from a 1,200 key to an 800 key hotel, but consider that that was being done in um, 2000, right in the middle of mm-hmm. the recession. Mm-hmm. Very tough. Really, one of the hardest developments we've ever done. It was just hard to get people to step up. So, so when you went and you were, you, you got involved in the fan pier, take us through the development thought process there. Because how many acres is it now? 21 acres. 21 acres. I don't think there is a more multi-use property in the country in in in, in 11 acres that you've been able to do, and I, I think that's unbelievable. Right. What was what was for me? It was somewhat of a defensive mood because move because now we have the Western um, Hotel being built, convention centers being built. I have the Renaissance and the apartments being built, but there's still you could still throw that bowling ball right to the CBD. Yeah. And Pritzker's property was supposed to move ahead, but um, Pritzker's, the family was sued by their nieces and nephews because they were not focused on hotels. They were doing more development. Now, which was their property? Their Fampier. So, oh, oh, okay, so Pritzker, okay, at right, that time, okay. Nick Pritzker owned okay, Fampier. Okay. And, um, and, and so their nieces and nephews sued. The, the family had to break up, and they had to s- dispose of the development uh, properties they had, so they had to sell Fanpier. Mm-hmm. It was a bidding um, process, and uh, we won the bid. And when when it was um, when it was at the very end, I remember the m- meeting with Nick and he Nick Prisker, the 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 founder of uh, the the son of the founder, and he explained to me what had occurred. He said that when the nieces and nephews sold. That the he this he spent twenty years going through a permit process, so it was really hard for him to get away from it. He was mm-hmm. very engaged, and he said that his niece, who was a movie actress, was also one of the um, uh, one of the kids that sued, and she was the 
um, movie actress that was on Air Force One, the movie Air Force One, she was the daughter on that movie. So when when um, at the end when we bought Fanpier, um, I I was getting people knew the story. I was getting the DVD of Air Force One, <laughs> and so I ho- I owe her uh, a thank you because it was because of that process I was able to buy. And any and any time because I remember it was years and years going by with a Fanpier. Was there any time, Joe, that you said, hmm? I don't know if maybe we should just pull this plug or you just persevered, but was there any time that you said, like, maybe it's not going to happen? No. In, oh, we knew people had interest. We were, getting, yeah. we were generating. The first step I made was to change the permitting um, to allow life science because it didn't allow life science. Nick had it permitted for a lot of hotels. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. We wanted to change that to allow life science as well as office, residential, and retail. And the hotel was, is a tough – it's a very tough – financial um, process to get that to be successful. So we still had hotels that could be available, but we really wanted to focus on life science because the growth of life science in this area is still, to this day, um, one of the mainstays of real estate. Now, now, why is it difficult to permit life science? Hotels, uh, not to permit life science, yeah, we, the, it was difficult to finance the hotels. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and, and but, but was it easy enough to permit life we science? We went through a process with the city. Now, remember, this was in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably could have permitted a trailer park at that time because <laughs> they were looking for anything to happen. And they, they really were anxious to see some kind of development. And we were approached by a couple of large life science companies, and uh, we ended up working out a deal with Vertex, mm-hmm. and the rest is history there. So, so what is it? You know, right now you drive around Boston and you see cranes in the Ink District, North Station, Back Bay. I mean, every nook and cranny of the city. What is the attraction to so many corporations now migrating and setting up their corporate headquarters in the seaport versus any other part of the city? Well, it's it's not just Boston, but across the country you see the urban areas becoming the the draw. People mm-hmm. want the the young gener- the younger generations want to be together and they want to be in urban areas. And um, for the life science companies and these big corporations, it's really uh, intellectual capital. When you see a lot of young people there, they want to be there. That's why we have tenants that are moving into our property from 128, 495, because it's easier for them to bring in the right people and hire the right people at that location. And the access to that town pool is so easy, too. It is. It yeah. is. So, so as you develop and, and attract these folks in, how does that change the way you think of condos in, in terms of parking, in terms of amenities? Yeah. What, what is going on today that perhaps wasn't taking place 5, 10, 15 years yeah, ago? Yeah, really great question because there's a you've got to stay on top of that. There's a change every day. And when we opened Park Lane, the parking ratio was uh, 4.4, which meant that it was a every every two units would get a parking space. So, um, so you really had a half. So you had to share the parking. But the parking ratio now is closer to a 0.25. So you see that dropping. Um, Obviously, the the ride sharing has a significant mm-hmm. impact, not only in people using cars, but in traffic. Right. Uh, um, we have an office in Charlotte, and we see a lot of the younger generation jumping on those uh, scooters, oh, uh, really? the Bluebirds, and it's very popular there. It's becoming popular now in Boston, and they're very 
different in how they get to work, how they think about work, how they do work. Um, even in the office amenities, um, office is now throwing in these sleeping pods. So if, if they have a long night, they can go in and take a nap. Really? Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> really? It's, it's amazing the number of amenities that are changing today. So, so, so as you're redesigning or you're thinking about designing office space, what has changed five years ago, even five years ago to today in terms of how the typical office space lays out? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely open. We're doing an office building right now for Mass Mutual, and that's a 325,000-foot office building. And that mm-hmm. building, the design there will be a lot of open space. It's collaboration space. It's more important now for people to meet and to talk to each other. Big reason for Vertex. Vertex, mm-hmm. and when they were in Cambridge, had 13 buildings. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have two. They're in 1.1 million square feet. When they were in Cambridge, they were about eight or 900,000 feet. But it was, sep- it was all spread out by having all of these people meet on a regular basis. And for Vertex, being in the center, the center of the city, having people in the city, and now there's a lot more life science down there. People actually meet on a regular basis in collaboration space and different space that they think that's going to help them grow. So you see that now in every use, um, whether it be an attorney, which is a little bit more difficult because attorneys don't like to share with other attorneys. <laughs> and they you have, have this, to build libraries for them, right? Don't have to do libraries anymore. They don't do that. Um, they do do, they still have the war rooms that they want for, you know, uh, for any of their trials. But there's a very different attitude of being open and having space that you don't have the walls. That's a significant change that I don't see going away. Well, you know, my, my wife works for a company in Boston. And, you know, I know going back to when we were all younger, you know, you came to work and you had an office and you had your frame, your pictures, whatever. Sure. Now they're putting in meditation rooms, and I'm saying, yep. meditation, let's get back to work, right? Be right. So it's a whole new world today. And you know, like Jack Welch once, once told me this great quote, if you don't change the game, the game's going to change you. And it's all about evolution. And if you're not evolving to what the people want today, not just millennials, just how people are working and living and balancing life, then, then you're not going to change the game. No, they, they you know, it's interesting. I, I met um, the, the CEO of WeWork, a really interesting guy, and he's... He's on the cutting edge of a lot of that, where you have people just take a a space and you plug in. But now offices for law firms, financial firms, um, even us, we actually took offices out and we now uh, have a lot of open space and and the people that we're hiring are actually using those spaces. It's become pretty popular and actually pretty common and I don't see it going away. And a lot of people actually have the ability to work from home and come right, in. Right, right. And that's right. changing too. Now, now you're opening in a number of different cities. Right. What is it in your mind that sort of triggers this city's a good opportunity? The, for me, Michael, my son Mike has come into the company and Mike um, has brought with him a lot of the younger people and um, people he's gone to school with. He went to graduate school at Bentley. He, he went to graduate school also at uh, Wentworth for a master's degree. And he actually, the fact that he's now in the business mm-hmm. um, is a big shift for us because he's looking at all these secondary cities. It's so expensive to build in Boston. We were in New York. We sold our property in New York. And because the secondary cities are still in a growth mode, and you see a lot of the younger generation shifting down to them. So we're, our office is in, uh, in Charlotte for the Mid-Atlantic, and we're also we're, we're doing a development now. We're going to start uh, in 19, first quarter of 19 in, in Raleigh all mixed use, um, office, hotel, residential, that we're seeing the growth patterns down there uh, much stronger than they are. Um, actually, let me say it this way. The growth patterns are strong in Boston and New York, mm-hmm. but you can 
make the finances work a lot easier, don't I you? see. I see. What, what is going on right now when you see um, cities like uh, New York with all these empty storefronts, all yeah. the retail storefronts? That, is, it, is it because they're outpriced? You know, to your point, I mean, is, is, it, is it hitting an upper level? Uh, is it online taking away from that? Because there's, there's never been, I don't think— more empty store frontage than there has been in New York. And I'm curious, do you think there'll be spillover into Boston at a certain point? You know, if you look at the retail now, and, and if you look at our retail, um, retail has become restaurants. And I worry a little bit about, well, you must think about mm-hmm. it too. What is this saturation? Right. What is the of, saturation point? Of how many restaurants can you put in this mm-hmm. box? And the box is getting pretty full. And a lot of a lot of chefs now are opening up their own restaurants, and you see that. There's a big issue that, that we talk about all the time, Roger, uh, um, and that's hiring help. And the unemployment rate being so – you're at full employment now, and they, there's the smart guys are telling us that it's looking like it's going to even drop lower next year. That starts to cause – wage increase certainly but there's such a shortage of people that um, I joke that the waiters are going to have uh, agents pretty soon because all these restaurants are hiring and paying bonuses to some of the stronger waiters and maitre d's so that they come into their new restaurant. You know, I was reading also a while ago, I'm sure you, Roger, you know about it, that you know, years ago there was American food, there was Italian, there was Chinese, a few others. And to now they say there's approximately 92 different types of cuisine out there, and you say with specialties and all the little boutiques, whatever, and they're growing and growing. But you say, Joe, how many can you fit in this per right. square mile, whatever, that's going right. to really sustain growth? Before they close well, up. and the, the economics have to work, too, yes. because to your point, yes, labor is very high. But if you couple on that, the cost of build-out, how it's difficult huge. is it to get uh, buildings put up and things outfitted today? You add the rent onto it. Right. Models are at a tipping mm. point, regardless mm. whether you're in the restaurant business or, or, you're, or you're a retail. Right. We're private money, so we, yeah. we don't have to put the money out like the REITs do. The, the investment trusts, they have to put it out, and they're lowering their, lowering their return on their cap rates to justify putting the money out. Now, they'll collect their management fees, but we're not that way. We actually, we need the return. And um, Roger's point is a very uh, important point. The cost to build today continues to go up, and it's and it's not flattening out. And if you see wage increase on, on, on top of that, um, the, the builder that's building, the owner of the buildings is has to have the right attitude of bringing a restaurant in to service everything above. Many of these developers will bring a restaurant in or retail in and try to squeeze all the dollars out. For me, restaurants are the base of the building and vertical. I'm talking about vertical construction is is really servicing everything above. Of 20,000 feet on the ground floor is servicing 500 feet above it. And you have to have that um, attitude about this is servicing everything that's above it. Aside from aside from from restaurants, what other kind of retail do you see out there? It's there's there's not a lot of retail that want to expand today. Uh, we've talked to a number of a number of retailers, and um, some of them have already been Amazoned, and online is increasing. I'm surprised. You know, you look at the malls and you. You talk about the demise of some of these malls. Many of them are going now into the entertainment field. That's so an experience so, factor, right. yeah. So you, yeah. you start looking, I mean, movie theaters, bowling alleys, all of that's starting to become commonplace now mm-hmm. in retail environments with food. 
So it's it's really going to be interesting. These next five years, I, I, I don't know. I really, honest to God, couldn't tell you where retail is going to be in 10 years. Mm. And I don't think anyone right. knows. Right, I don't think anyone knows. I really don't. I think that these, the, we talked about change earlier. Right. The change in retail is is... Uh, at lightning speed, yeah, I it know. changes almost every day. Something different is occurring. Okay. I mean, Sears. Look at Sears. Oh yeah, my God, Sears well, that's was. That's turning into what Lifetime Fitnesses. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe, as an entrepreneur, I, I, I read some articles, and one of the things you mentioned is really, I mean, it's quite telling as an entrepreneur and your value systems. They even quote as saying, "You follow two basic rules. One is keep your commitments because you're nothing without credibility, and the second is if it doesn't make money." Don't agree to it. Can yeah. you share what's your philosophy on that? Well, I mean, um, I, I know that the, what's the podcast called? Branding? Name, Name Brands. Name Brands. Yeah, you were testing Larry, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, and, and for everybody, everybody has a brand. And for us, our brand is uh, credibility, that when we make a commitment, uh, whether we're losing money or not, we want to fulfill that commitment. Mm. And we don't enter into lawsuits. We've never been sued, and we don't sue. Awesome. We, we look to get things done. Yeah. It doesn't serve anyone's interest to try and sue somebody and squeeze them for your benefit. Um, it, karma's, karma's a bitch. Mm. And so you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing and making it happen. For me, credibility, anything we say, and it's true for everyone in the company, anything that we can commit to, we make sure we get it, uh, make it happen. You, you know, everyone knows that business is, is a risk. I thought it was funny when you said earlier that when you were in college, you were playing cards. Because yeah. developing, and, and really open it, but developing to a big, because the stakes are really high, you're gambling. Right. And, and, and you have to have the stomach for it because there is a lot on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, when we were doing Fanpeer, we, we bought Fanpeer in... Talk about timing, because real estate, people say location, location, location. I say timing, timing, timing. <laughs> yeah, yes. So we bought Fanpia, great location. Uh, but um, when 08 hit, um, we had we had the Vertex deal done. It was only 500,000 feet at that time. Mm-hmm. But we had Vertex deal committed. And my financing was um, with Lehman Brothers. Mm. Uh. Um, and I still have the Lehman Brothers baseball cap they had that we did. <laughs> My son Michael's saying he's going to put that on eBay. But we, we actually lost our financing because of the financial crisis. So uh, what we did was um, we brought in some uh, – for me, it's keeping people focused mm-hmm. on that neighborhood. So it's drawing attention to what we're doing. And we brought in the um, Volvo Ocean Race. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought in – that was the first time that international race had come into North America – so we brought it to Boston. It's now in Rhode Island. Uh, we brought in uh, Red Bull cliff diving. Uh, we had the, mm-hmm. we had a platform built off the ICA, and they were cliff diving in the water. Yeah. Um, we we actually opened up. We opened. Roger and I opened up a restaurant. Um, <laughs> well, it was a what do you, what do you call them? A pop up. It was a pop up. It popped down. It's deflated. It goes to the comment about making money. Um, yeah. It was great food, uh, but the. The people were going to the restaurants because we had so many around. What, were, what, what was it called? Where was it? What was it called? What, what did we call it? I, you know, sometimes you erase some place. things. No, Roger, no, no, no. Was no. Roger there with an apron? <laughs> flip, flip on the uh, hamburgers, <laughs> put in the fish fry? Yeah, we actually was. It was. Um, it was like a big trailer, but it had uh, lobster rolls. It had all of great food. And where was, was located? It was on Fan Pier. We brought it, it down. It was a prototype. Let's yeah. leave it yeah. at that. Yeah. 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 Is, is that when Roger did his second job? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, does this does this pay? For, does this pay? 
<laughs> we'll, we'll go ask no, no, Mark no, afterwards. No, 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 no. It happens just after we leave here. I pay Roger's copay. He pays my copay because we see somebody. <laughs> but we 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 actually wanted to get attention, so we did the Bob Ocean race. We did um, uh, the uh, Red Bull cliff diving. We had um, uh, the dual sailing. Uh, we brought in some international events that had never been to Boston. Mm-hmm. Really, to kind of survive the down years, that was 08, 09, and 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do support the Navy SEAL families. Um, that, for us, is a, uh, a big sponsorship that we're very involved in. And it's primarily because there's so many Navy SEALs that are lost and their families need the help. So we try to support them. We did a major event for them in uh, 2012, mm-hmm. I think it was. And um, we, we tried to keep activity on the site. And... Again, um, I committed that we were going to get this done, so we stayed with it. Um, we had a financial partner with uh, Cornerstone um, and Mass Mutual who were um, on the sideline and waiting for me to say, this is what we're going to do. And then we committed and uh, moved ahead with the first office building. If you could fast forward the next three to five years, the Fallon brand, what do you think is going to take place? How is it going to evolve? What do you envision it looking like different maybe, Joe, today and then than it is today? Oh, it's kind of what we thought about. Bef- we were talking about before. When you look at the way people are branding, branding's changed dramatically from doing normal ads in the globe. Um, not anymore. Everything is social media, and and we focus on that side of things. Mm-hmm. What we did do for the first building on the the first condo building on Fan Pier, which opened in '15, I believe. We actually focused not on... 22, 22 Liberty, right? Uh, 22 Liberty, yeah. We focused on the North Shore magazine, which was a different di- um, demographic, demographic yeah, yeah. than what we initially thought, which would be the western suburbs. Um, and that building filled up pretty quick. We had 450 uh, people interested with only 120 units. And that kind of led the way for the next building, which were, we... Were, were those condos? All condos. Yeah. So, and usually what happens when you put up, at least during that time, you would get a lot of foreign investors. Not so in that building. Right? Not so. No, we had... It was all... It was all... It's a great building, great people in mm. the building. But it's mostly... Uh, it's mostly the baby boomers. Mm. A lot of them, the kids have moved out. Right. They're looking at the next chapter. Some are retired. Some are not. Everyone stays busy. And um, everybody's kind of in the same position. So the, the chemistry in that building is terrific. And we start to see that now in the second building, where the chemistry in our second building that we opened up at uh, 50 Liberty is similar. So what's happening is Roger brought up about the, the international. Who, who is actually moving in to the seaport? What's the balance of folks in the U.S.? versus abroad? We, we, I can say that the first building was all U.S., maybe for one, maybe two. The second building was seeing more international interest. And Boston, I think it's the change in Boston mm. where these corporations are coming in. Um, we, we attracted to a number of CEOs of GE. Those went back on the market and they made money selling right. them. But uh, we, we <laughs> see something the... Like <laughs> at least something turned to profit <laughs> right. for them. Yeah. You know, right? But they, we see the companies that are coming in, the executives of those companies have moved in. International has been a big interest, and mo- much of the international is because their kids are going to school mm. in the Boston area. Mm. So they wanted to have a condo that they could stay at while they visit, as well as having some their kid, uh, their son or daughter, in a safe neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, uh, Joe, you and I have talked about over the years is when is there a recession? What constitutes a recession? I, and I think we both thought there would be one in two, sometime in 2017. It didn't happen. 
What, what do you see is happening in the economy today? And if you had to predict when the next recession might be, because we've gone certainly an awful long time without a recession. We have. We have. The, 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 everyone's watching the cycles. And if you look at the cycles historically over the past 50 years, uh, this is probably the longest ever. And there's so much money around, and people are spending the money. Consumer confidence, I was on the bank board uh, before, and all all I ever watched was consumer confidence to see Mm -hmm. how much spending was occurring. Because 75% of the the, um, gross domestic profit for the country is based on consumer spending, and you're -hmm. you're seeing now consumer confidence at an all-time high. That bodes well for retail and restaurants for Christmas, Mm -hmm. because you know people will be spending... But at the same time, uh, I see a lot of – we're in different parts of the country. And Boston is in its own world yes, right yes, now. Yes, I, I agree mm. with that. You know, you can't use Boston as an example for what's happening in the country. In Charlotte, you definitely – it's very busy uh, in Charlotte. And in Raleigh, the same thing. You see a lot of companies moving there. Uh, the, you know, pay attention to the millennial demographic because mm. it's – it's, they all talk and they follow each other. And when we talked about social media, it's instant. You know, that day you know what's going on. News, you know, it's... It's the norm it's, for them versus it is. what we were growing it up, is. right? And so you, you watch how the demographics are shifting, and you can see Mid-Atlantic being an attraction for a lot of people. Cost of living is less. Um, you have a lot more open space. It's not New York or Boston, but you still get the urban feel. Is there an area in the country that you see could have the potential to replicate what was before at the seaport that Larry, the Larry, if there is, he's not going to tell us. Tomorrow there will be LLC filed. Larry and Roger development. <laughs> we beat Fallon to the punch. <laughs> I can tell you that the, the primary markets are very focused with the large yeah. institutions. Yeah. They're driving the prices up and mm-hmm. the returns down. And again, we're a private company, so we, we want to make sure that we have a return, mm-hmm. um, a strong return. And the secondary markets haven't been a focused until really the past year that there weren't a lot of people other than banks looking at Charlotte. We were in there early in the game, and now you start to see some of the major development companies from New York looking at a Charlotte or looking at Austin in, a, mm. in aggressive ways yeah. because the returns are stronger. One of the interesting things that I've seen with the condo market, and, and Joy, uh, Joe, you see this, I'm sure, more than anyone, is that the size of units has gone down hmm. radically over a 10-year period, yeah. where a three-bedroom might have been over 3,000 square feet, now is 2,000 and perhaps less, 1,500. Right. What, 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 what's going on? Is that, is that informed just by uh, economics or needs? Certainly, economics has a part, has a play, has a very strong role in that. But the play is for the for the boomers. They've they've got wealth. They're comfortable, very comfortable. And when we first were selling the condos, we were telling them to start looking at um, half the space that you're in in your home, because that's really what you need. And have a storage space and have a garage. But think about that to make life simpler. Mm-hmm. And even today, it's even less than that for some of the. Um, families that are moving into the, into the city. And they, they also realize now that they don't need the car like they did. Mm-hmm. And they walk to the different venues. They can go out and they can get there easier by not just Uber, by walking or by transit and by other means. So the 
uh, boomer generation clearly has downsized, but the millennial generation, they're comfortable in the, in the dorm environment. They're comfortable in sharing beds and, and yeah. you know, sharing, not sharing beds, but sharing, <laughs> sharing beds. Yeah, no, 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 no sharing we beds We said anything too. goes on the show. Yeah, <laughs> but, sharing, but sharing bedrooms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, within yep. a, a part of, right? right? And right. they actually have, all they want is their own space. And WeWork has a new concept, We Live, that, that uh, we were able to look at that is, is doing that just that. In 500 feet, they're getting five different ways to make it so that you can live there. The, the bed will drop down over the, um, the dinner table. It's, they'll make it so that you, that space, that volume of space is used, not just the floor space. It's almost like just living minimalist. I met somebody the other evening over dinner. They just sold their home for 7,000 square feet, and they sold everything in it, the beds, everything. They had a estate sale. They moved into a place, 1,850 square feet. And I said to them, how did you adjust, right? To Larry, it didn't matter. We love the urban living. We're walking to the restaurants. We're thriving in the city. It's a whole different lifestyle. It we, is. We don't miss anything about the big home at all right. after 28 years being there. Right. And to me, that's you know, it's an emotional decision. But I think when someone tries it and does it, Roger, you know, yeah, it's like no, no question. You hit the rest. It's like this. This is what life. It's vibrant. Right. And you feel alive. The urban core is now attracting, and that yeah. dynamic is going on across the country. But the yeah. urban core is is drawing the mm. dynamics of people moving into the city, but we're starting to see the millennial generation as they get married and have families looking to the suburbs. Mm. That, that's true. Yeah, they, they want the school system. Right, that's exactly sort of the, what they're chasing. The, the driving force. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, Joe, as we as we wrap up here, I have to ask you a question because you you sort of have displayed some uh, theatrics in, in what you've done. So whether it was the, um, you know, the, uh, the cliff divers or, or, the, uh, or the parachutists coming out of the uh, Navy SEALs, if, if the Volvo races, if you had to choose another career, would it be in that direction? I can, as a promoter, uh, uh, you know Elliot Taylor, and so mm-hmm. uh, from Jordan's Furniture. So Elliot and I talk about this all the time. He goes down to Orlando. I'm going to join him one of these uh, sessions, but he goes down to find out the next best fun thing that can be done. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that it's a it's a lot of fun once it's happening, but it's a huge amount of work. The effort that goes into bringing these events to that level, that it's gotta be at that high level, is a huge amount of work, it's a huge effort, but you get to enjoy it at the, at the end and see everyone else enjoy it. We attracted hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. down to Fan Pier, and that was my goal. And it, at the end of the day, I really just love developing real, we have a really good team mm-hmm. of people, and my son's in, in the company now, my daughter's handling the philanthrop- philanthropic arm, so she's handling the foundation stuff. Having my kids in the company, um, makes it more fun for me. Sure. And yeah. Joe's family is very closely knit, so it's yeah. very nice to see. So yeah. I, I have to ask Joe, as the holidays are coming up, I ask you a quick question, Joe. With the holidays coming up and you're looking at gift ideas for your maybe young ones, would you give them a Tinker Toy, an Erector Set, or Legos? Uh, my son loved Legos when he was a little kid. Yeah. Um, uh, my daughter would love the Tinker Toys for sure. <laughs> she loves she loves that stuff. But my son loved. My son was so good, but it, they were expensive, and he would put them together like in that, yeah. minutes, and they'd be done. I never, I never had the patience for it. I, when it. When anything was more than one page of instructions, I gave it to my wife to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my, my my wife. I mean, she enjoys decorating the home. So, and and she loves to 
be a part of the, the decoration side and the um, interior decoration. So she loves doing that. Yeah, she enjoys that. So that's great. Yeah, that was an interesting question, Larry. Did you spend a lot of time thinking about that? <laughs> More than you, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Fallon, it has been great having you. Yeah, really. thank you very really much. Super. Very much. Continue success, and uh, we just can't wait to see the next chapter of the the Fallon companies. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you, Joe. Remember to subscribe to Name Brands on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We're at Name Brands Pod on Twitter or on Facebook at Name Brands Podcast. That's it for us. We'll be back to talk to you again next Wednesday. 